This is Health Dose, a conversational podcast that focuses on issues surrounding your health. I'm Jerry O'Donnell, and today we're going to talk about the benefits of group therapy for older adults. David Bailey is the program therapist with Senior Life Solutions. Health Dose asked Dave, what conditions might we see in an elderly person that would lead us to believe that they may benefit from group therapy? We really look for declines in their functioning. Are they not doing the things that they were? Are they not finding enjoyment in life where they used to? Is their life being impacted by things like depression or anxiety or or grief? get a lot of people who come after losing a spouse because that's a very challenging and difficult life transition. So, yeah, just uh, looking at people who things used to be going well, used to be doing all these things, and now I'm not not doing as much, I'm not enjoying as much, I'm not living life to... Like I was, those are kind of some key things that we would look for. Do you find that seniors are more reluctant or less reluctant than younger people about approaching mental health in general, but specifically about group therapy? I do find seniors to be more apprehensive about group therapy. In that generation, there still is a very hard stigma attached to mental health. It's the thing that we don't talk about, it's the thing that we sleep under the rug, it's the thing that we keep the family secrets. So I think that is a part of it. And part of it is the younger generation, there's a lot more information out there about what mental health concerns are. And sometimes the senior population might not even know that they're experiencing symptoms of depression. They might just see it as normal parts of the aging process. So what kind of arguments do you employ? What kind of persuasion do you give to those seniors when you're trying to talk them into going to a group for crying out loud in front of a bunch of strangers and talking about my mental health. There are so many red flags and danger signs there. That's so funny. I have that conversation with almost everybody who comes in the program. Because there is, there's a lot of anxiety about joining a group of strangers, of people you don't know. And I always tell people that's normal. When we experience new things, that does cause anxiety. But to give it a chance. And the worst that won't happen is that it won't work. But in my experiences, if you come and you engage and you do the work in group therapy, you're going to see an improvement. And remembering that the people who are there in group are there to get help too. And we have to take risks sometimes to get better and improve our mental health. What's your closing rate like? I mean, (laughs) how, how successful are you at getting people to attend a meeting? And then the more important point, once you've gotten into the batter's box there, what are the chances you're going to be able to help that person? A great question. I would say 90 to 95% of people, once they attend a first group, end up staying, uh, helping people. I think I can help everybody who walks through the door or else I wouldn't do this job. It depends on the person. It depends on their circumstances. There's my part in therapy, but there's also the patient's part in therapy. They have to come in and be willing to do some of the work too. So I would say everybody who stays kind of long-term or finishes the program definitely experiences benefits. It's still that old joke about mental health workers changing light bulbs. The light bulb has to want to change. <laughs> that's a great joke. That is a great joke. And, but that's, that's true. It's true, though. There's some truth to it. Because if, if we don't want to change, then we just won't. What are some of the myths that you hear about group therapy that you can dispel for us? Well, we talked about a couple of them. The dirty laundry. Why would I want to air my dirty laundry? That's one that I 
wrote down here. The pull yourself up by the bootstraps is one of my favorites. I hear that all the time. Why would I need group therapy? I should be able to handle this by myself. And we have this mentality and these ideas that we're supposed to be able to do these things by ourselves. And it's really kind of this fallacy that we, this story that we tell ourselves is just not true. If I get help, then I am weak. That's another kind of myth that goes into that. And to me, it's just a real thinking error. I think it takes more strength to get help than to sit idly by doing nothing. So let's talk about the benefits of group therapy. Does misery really love company? What's the <laughs> real re- Why do people want to come together to share their troubles? Misery actually does love company, but that's not the point of group. <laughs> but <laughs> no, the point is that we're healing together. We're here. We're going through similar experiences and we are working on these things together. There's this amazing thing in group where the group members are able to hold each other accountable. And you really get this deep level of understanding from people who have had similar experiences from people that haven't. And the experiences might not be exactly the same, but there's a lot of overlap. And just hearing about how someone else has survived and how someone else has coped and how someone else has dealt with what you're dealing with there's so much power there. Are there reoccurring themes? Do you know going into it that a certain percentage are going to be dealing with the loss of a spouse or a loved one or displacement of children and concern over them? I mean, are there reoccurring themes that come up in therapy? Yes, especially with this particular population. But I think you would find that in any type of like population groups. But yeah, grief, definitely. Grief is not just the loss of a loved one, but it can be the loss of independence. It can be the loss of a job. It can be retirement. It can be major life transitions. Uh, There's many different things that fall under this umbrella of grief, and those are similarities. A lot of uh, worrying about their future, worrying about their health, chronic pain. Many of the patients who come here have some form of chronic pain, so that is definitely a theme. Chronic pain obviously affects our mental health. Worrying about the future, worrying about displacement from children, that's another very good point. Because some people have healthy family dynamics, and in those cases, families can be very helpful and very integral to our care, and sometimes the families can be the cause of our distress. Yeah, definitely, uh, there's a lot of issues. I mean, everyone's an individual. Everyone experiences like differently, but there are a lot of overlapping issues that people experience. I actually attended a funeral of an elderly person who left a spouse behind, and they said, sometimes death is painful. Sometimes it can be a relief. It's funny you mention that. Some of the people here have that. They have spouses with chronic health conditions, and they're primary caretaker for the spouse for many years. And when that spouse dies, they do end up feeling a sense of relief, which they then feel guilty for. Right. That's a totally, again, grief is a very complicated emotion, and relief is just one part of that. It is a relief to know that the person that we love is no longer suffering. I look at the aging process, and I think in terms of contrasting it with childhood, where every new stage is more freedom, more opportunity, a larger world, and sometimes when we're aging, it's the reverse of that. Every change brings restriction. It brings a smaller world. It brings less opportunity. Is that something that seniors have difficulty dealing with? Yes, very much so. 
many people struggle with, I can't do what I could do 10 years ago. I can't do what I could do 20 years ago. When you talked about themes, that's actually a very common theme. And you're right, you can't do those things. But then looking at, is it fair to expect myself to be the same person that I was 20 years ago? Is it fair to expect myself to live 20 years without changing in my life? No, of course not. And someone in my group put it really well. There's a difference between what I want to do and what I can do. And I think that is a really good thought, a way to think about it. If I can do something, great. If I can't do something, well, then I have to use acceptance that I can't do that anymore. That's a huge struggle that the senior population deals with. Typically, when you're working with a group like that, how many clients do you have? How many therapists are involved at the same time? Is it just you and a handful of people? Uh, It's just me. Our groups can range anywhere from two to ten people. So my group settings, it is a small group setting. I've worked at places where I've run groups of upwards of 30 people. Yeah, which is a, a different experience. But I, I do like that we are able to offer a smaller group setting. It builds group dynamics a lot better. It really leads to the the patients really having these kind of vested interests in each other, and that builds accountability. And is it your job as a therapist to be the referee? Are you working on, like, the active listening business and getting people to word their sentences so they're less judgmental? What is your role as the therapist? That's a great question. I could probably do half an hour about that. In group, everyone says, well, you're the group leader. It's like, well, sort of. But I feel like I'm just the guy up there just trying to, like, keep the ship on course. A lot of it is looking at the words that we say, looking at the thoughts that we're having, and looking at ways to think about those things differently, looking at thoughts that we can challenge, looking at behaviors that we can change looking at feelings that we can change. There's a lot of just modeling healthy behavior that goes on in this kind of work. And and you can't plan it. It's just kind of, well, what people are sitting in front of me today, what are their needs, and how can I best use the skill set that I have to do the best in this situation? It's not really being a leader so much as being a facilitator. Facilitator, yes, that's a great word for it. Because sometimes I always come in with something planned for the day, and my group, during our check-in, one of my group members will bring something up, and I'll think to myself, wow, that's much better than what I had planned. Let's talk about that. Let's go that direction. And yeah, facilitator is a great word, because I want the group members to feel like they have an active role and kind of that a little bit of responsibility for group for themselves. Do people ever complete your program? Is that Because really, mental health is never done, is it? That's a very good question, too. Uh, people do. Uh, we, call, we call it graduating. They do. But no, mental health is never actually done, done. But we kind of look at what are your symptoms mm-hmm. and are your symptoms at kind of a baseline level and will you be able to maintain that level after you discharge from our program? Mm-hmm. Those are kind of the criteria that we look at when people are ready to discharge. But mental health is a continual struggle and it is something that needs to continually be worked on. It's never going to be perfect. Generally speaking, what kind of outcomes are you seeing from people who graduate from your program? Could you give us some specifics, obviously anonymously, of people who have really grown and been able to conquer some of those fears, those anxieties, those depressions that they're working on? So for outcomes, we had a person who came in very anxious. Really, the, you know, the anxiety was limiting them to basically being in their home 90 95% of the time. 
and throughout the work they were able to you know, learn coping skills and were, they were getting out, they were engaging in the community, doing activities that were meaningful to them. That's really, I think, the success is people come in and they're in survival mode and when they leave, they're living life again. How does someone come to your group? Are they referred to by their primary care provider? Are they recommended by a family member or a loved one? Or do you have other mental health professionals saying this person is in individual therapy and might do better in group? The answer to that question is yes. It's a wide variety, a wide range. People self-refer. We've had people just walk in the front door, seeing our sign or reading about us. We get them from doctor's offices. We get them from the hospital. We get them from skilled nursing facilities. Just lots of different ways people have been referred here. Where do your groups meet? How often? How long are these groups? Well, we meet here in our building in Gladwin, which is right across the street from the hospital. It's the old urgent care, if you're familiar with Gladwin. We meet three days a week. We meet Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 9.30 till usually about 12.30, so about three hours. It's broken down into three about one-hour groups with breaks in between. And that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. And then people also generally have individual therapy twice a month to weekly, depending on what they're experiencing at that time. So this is maybe in addition to supplemental to individual therapy. Yes. The group is kind of, I think, the main part of the program. And I mean, individual therapy is also a wonderful tool. And I think people are able to grow and learn so much more from group than they are from individual therapy, just, just individual therapy alone. How does someone find out about your particular program in Gladwin? Where can we go for more information? Uh, you can go to mymidmichigan.org. And there's a mental health tab, outpatient therapy tab. You can also just call us directly, 989-246-6339. What's your best-selling pitch for what group therapy can do for the average aging person? Hmm. It can really help them. A lot of people feel like they're going through these things alone in their life, and that just fuels depression, that fuels your anxiety, that makes your symptoms worse. Realizing that there are other people out there who are struggling with the same things that you are struggling with makes you feel connected to people. And that connectedness is really the power of group therapy. So many people, like I said, in life have lost a partner, are living alone, and we lose that feeling of connectedness to other people. There are people who are able to find that in group therapy, and it really is a very powerful experience. That is Senior Life Solutions Program Therapist, David Bailey. As always, if you have health concerns, the best place to start is your primary care provider. If you need help finding a primary care provider, go to mymichigan.org slash doctors. To learn more about behavioral health services at MyMichiganHealth, go to mymichigan.org slash mental health or call Senior Life Solutions at 989-246-6339. I'm Jerry O'Donnell. Thank you so much for listening. Check back again soon for another episode of Health Dose.